Welcome to Real Talk Christian Podcast, where we drink coffee and talk about faith, culture, and society. Wow, I screwed that one up again. I'm Chris two Fuller. Two and I'm Mark Hyde. And on today's episode, we are talking about, hey, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check that spiritual pulse of yours and learn your history. We're getting back into that conversation about church history. Uh, that was that was very excitable. I'm 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 ready. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's, Let's go. go. You know, well, that was one way to confuse the bejesus out of me. My goodness, <laughs> you would welcome think, to part two, guys. You would think after so many episodes of doing the intro, I'd have it down. We'd by have now. it down, and it's and and I, even before like, we went, I'm like, right, you want to do this one again? You're like, yep, I, maybe I could do this one right. And then and you said redemption. No. I'm like, crap. <laughs> no, welcome to Real Talk Christian Podcast, where we drink coffee and have real conversations on faith, culture, and society. See, look, I can do it now, no problem. But uh, for some reason, twice in a row, I have stumbled and fell. We are professionals. You know, my ERA is very, but very. But you know bad what they right say? Now. It's not how many times you can take a hit; it's how many times you can get back up and keep moving forward. There you go. You got to keep. You moving. Did you see that he's basically like keeping up the Kardashians now over yeah, on Paramount he's Plus? He's, he's got ridiculous. his own reality TV show with his daughters. I have not seen a single I episode. Have, I don't really care. I had semi-respect for him, and now it's just in the garbage. Oh, come on. Really? Like, come on, dude. Have you uh, Just because he's doing it? Or yeah, because of the content like, in it? No, just I haven't even watched. I've watched some of it, and it's just like, hey, yo, come on and see my, see my studio where I'm re-watching Rocky Three and I'm really editing it again. I, I think it's a great retirement plan. Easy money. Dude, Rocky III is like 20, 30 years old, man. Let it go. Let it go. But, you know, so... I thought you were going to continue on. I was waiting for the let it go. No, no. I I, I know my place. I at least gave Sabrina part of that bingo board already. There you go. Um, But so we were watching Shiny Happy People with uh, the Duggars, right? Shiny Happy People. And for those who don't know the Duggars, they're like the 19 kids and then all the scandals that came out and all that kind of crap it's freaking wild but you know when people come up to beth and i and they're like oh you need to have like a tlc show a reality tv show and we're like so do you want our family to implode because that's what happens with all these every it seems like every reality tv show like uh john and kate plus eight so janelle and i will, kids and county when we went to when we went down to gatlinburg okay for our vacation we stopped off in rocky top and met the bates family from the Bates family, right? The, oh, the, um, the, the TLC show. Yeah, that, Beth was talking about them. Aren't they like super fundies too? Oh, they're yeah, big they're, time. They're, they're part of the IB, but you know whatever, what? Institute for Baptist Life. But they were actually IBLF. It was funny because Janine wanted to go shop in the store. They were having a, a shopping grab or whatever. It's like really discounted stuff at, at some random store. No, at the, their store. They have a store. Oh, for I know them. they actually have a store for like in, in Knoxville. And yep. in, in, no, in Rocky Top. Oh. But Knoxville is Rocky. Is Rocky Top an actual city? Yeah, it's an actual city. Oh, right, right out. It's right outside of like good old it's Rocky like Top, Searville, and then Rocky Hills. Top, and yeah. Anyways, so uh, I twice. Janine wanted to go and shopping, but there was a whole line to meet the family, right? And so I said, I'll, I'll sit in line for you, whatever. You can go shop. Well, I'm sitting in line and I'm getting closer and closer to the family. I'm like, I've never. Where, wa- where is Janelle? I, I've watched this show like twice. I don't even know who these people really are. And so I text her. I'm like, Hey, you better get back because they're gonna be like. Hey, how's it going? I'm gonna be like, I have no idea who, <laughs> who you are. are you? I'm, I'm just a placeholder. I, I thought I was being oh, that'd be bad. I thought I was being someone famous. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, but so when I met, when I met the mom and dad or whatever, the Gill and I forget her her, her name. But, I have no clue who the but Bates they, are. They were no clue. they were very nice and sweet people, and I was very thoroughly uh, impressed with them, and just very Joe Schmo. You know, like you and I, like you meet us. 
it ain't nothing like it's two dudes in a basement like hey what's going on i oh, get stressed I'm about following. making sure i can keep the conversation going when it I'm was so people. funny watching you at revive fest last year when i'm like here mark here's some That's business cards no, go out and I work felt the crowd the most and you were I like, felt so. G- give me a microphone <laughs> in go, front of all those people. I am a happy camper. You say, hey, go actually go face to face and pass out cards. Absolutely not. I'm like, go work that crowd. And you're like, I don't know how and, to and do that. I'm like, just thing. go have a conversation. It's, it's not even like we're doing like, you know, the old Baptist term, soul winning or canvassing. No, they're already Christians. They're, just, uh, right. We just got to pass out our info. And you're I'm just like, like nope. hey, I'm real talk. I'm Mark. From, nope. Real talk Christian. Nope. I don't want to do it. Like, but you did it, man. And you did well. Yeah, you did because. very well. And I noticed you migrated towards the young people, the teenagers. But here's the problem I, with yeah, this. That's where you're comfortable. But here's the problem with this is I'm a 31-year-old old fart with a crap load of kids and gray hair. At what point has that become creepy? <laughs> bro, it became you know, creepy after 25. <laughs> that's like six years ago, bro. Come on now. Come on now. Uh, but either way, here's the deal, guys. Why don't we have long lines like the Bates to meet us? I'm just I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But either way, so you were at Rocky Top. So yeah. You we, met the Bates. Did Janiel get to meet him? Yeah, Janiel ended okay. up coming out and she met him. And but it was like, it's really cool seeing how like just hometown, like so but what I'm coming back to is like not everybody that's on a TLC implodes. Most do. I would say 90%, 95% implode. I don't know, man. After watching that happy people, smiley, happy, whatever the shiny the Duggars. Duggars documentary is, I'm like, y'all family screwed up. But look at Hill, uh, the Hillsong uh, scandals and stuff like that. I mean, Again, you know, that's screwed up too. And that's it. Now, I will say. You know what it is? It's famous. When you get famous. So stop trying to be famous. When you get famous, your family implodes. So I don't want to be famous. I just want peace and calm in my life, man. I don't want I, just, I, I don't want a famous life no more. I, I just mm. want I want to be able to come home and relax in my recliner and be left alone. I don't have a camera on my face <laughs> the whole right. stinking time. But I will say so. Speaking of which. So, <laughs> so, so, so for those of you guys who know me, you know, I, I was very invested in those Hillsong documents. Part of yep. church history, by the way, guys, in case you're wondering. It is now. Um, and so you watch the first Hillsong documentary where they're, they, it all started with Carl Lentz's affair, and they threw yep. that man under the bus so fast. And then they were coming after Hillsong itself. Because well, it was kind of scandalous what he was it, doing. It, it, was. Was like, it was like Rabbi Zechariah, so they threw him right under the bus, too. As they should have. Right. Like, and, and, and now, and, and that's the thing is, I'm, I'm here for justice, and I'm not saying, oh, they should have done that. Uh, the, yeah, no, you, you're you a very public figure, and you screw up in a very public way, well, and, and you, stuff you, happens. You hurt people. Yep, you not you, you hurt your he they hurt their immediate family. They hurt his all those people wife, that his kids, man. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. And the but church members, the, all the, the members, yeah, exactly. And so I understand why they were like, hey, and it, like it, there was no repentance over it, and so it was just like. But, but here's the thing. So in the first documentary about the Hillsong implosion, about all the Hillsong stuff, and then all the problems that came out after it with um, Brian Houston covering up his dad's uh, not alleged like documented sexual abuse claims and then stuff on his own account, it got wild. And so the second one is the first time Carl Lentz spoke out. Mm. And I've I, I watched some other interviews with uh, Tim Ross of Tim Ross in the Basement. Um, he, he, he is upset. His, 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 his LLC is like upset the world LLC or something like that. His, his Instagram upset, upset the gram. YouTube is like upset. Mm. The, like mm-hmm. It's cool. But the Basement with Tim Ross. And he was talking about, because the church he's on staff at, they brought Carl Lentz on staff. And he goes, you know, looking back, Carl Lentz, He's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that documentary. But the thing that I actually appreciate about Carl is he called a spade in spade. And he goes, you know what? He goes, yeah, I had some trauma. I had some stuff I had to work through in the past, but I made choices. I screwed up. Yeah, owned I it. hurt people. I betrayed my wife. I hurt my, I'm like, I mean, the fact that he, now granted, I'm, I'm sure he probably made bank off of it, but oh, yeah. the fact, that, and this is the thing that was important to me because I was a huge, not, not follower of Carl Lentz, but I, 
and I didn't even envy him. It's more the fact I think, of I looked at him and I'm like, you are so involved with culture that you're able to speak on platforms that no Christian would ever be allowed right. to speak on because of who you are and well, who you connect uh, and with. And I remember you talking about him even in the early days of our podcast. I loved Carl Lentz, Because of, of how influential he was in the yeah. culture. Carl so. Lentz was, and, and, and he was in that way. And, and that's why I think we do need to have these pastors who are able to influence celebrities because that, but I mean, we got to influence all, all points of culture. But, you but know. But at what point do you stop? Being the world. And that's that's the problem. <laughs> you know, that, and so and, and that's the thing is so Carl Lentz, he went and got a normal job where he works in a cubicle and no one really knows his name or his story, and he's trying to repair his mayor to take care of his family, and now he's got to at a church now. I was gonna say I thought he went back to he a church. He went back to a church, but he's not an elder, he's not a teaching yeah, pastor, right. he's not on the pulpit. He is literally more of because of how big transformation church is, he's more of a uh and 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 um I don't know he he has a lot of work, but it, it's it's more the fact of taking care of a lot of the physical ministry things that have to just happen that make make a church of that size happen. Sure, now, you can agree and disagree with the size of it and bring it back into ministry. But he even said on 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 that second documentary of he and Mark Driscoll never admitted this. Jane McDonald never admitted this. Um, Perry and Noble did about these guys who fallen from for, quote unquote fallen from grace. But he said that he disqualified himself from ministry. And 100%. then the question is, okay, so at what point do we say, yeah, you did disqualify yourself, but are you ever able to get back into ministry? And what does that look like? And how does that look like? I think that was the fair question. Well, but, and I think it comes back to exactly what, uh, you know, Scott Scott Smith, Pastor Scott, Southside Baptist Church, uh, he he the, spoke he Scott. spoke on this because we went over the the leadership roles and eldership. And, oh, you know, okay. we, we went through that because we're looking to, after Tom Ball died, Looking to add after we gave some time for grieving to add another a new elder to our. Was he talking about that like in his sermons? So we did a whole sermon series on it. Oh, I didn't know that. And so um, one thing I really appreciated about what he said was that uh, it's more of a proving ground, right? So if you got a divorce, right, and remarried, whatever, who not, are you talking about? Not you. Who are you talking not about? You. But if you cheated on your wife and got a divorce whoa, or whatever, whoa, whoa, I'm not, not, you're talking I to the wrong not, person. I said not you. Oh, I, I, I pref- prefaced it with not you. <laughs> I'm uh, sensitive. <laughs> Trauma. Calm down. But uh, if, if you, oh, biblical church leadership, yeah, right there. And Boop. so uh, it was really good. But he's basically saying, you know, there's a proving ground, right? You got to have repentance, and then there's a proving ground that you've actually changed, and you're actually repented, like, and then. I don't see any reason why you couldn't. And so, and that's kind of where I lie of, of yes, you know, if you did something horrible, one, how did it affect people? Where are those people at? Have you repented and how much time has passed? And I think you have to answer all those questions. And I think each situation, I don't think you can make a blanket like, Here's the five steps to becoming. And I think back everyone's different too, because you know it's, someone. Every case is different. The other day, someone said, and because they knew me, they knew my past, not my past, like my as pastoring, and, sure. and they watched me grow in these things, and they see the podcast, and and let's just call a spade a spade. The podcast is way bigger than what we ever thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like, it is nuts. It's kind of scary. And so it's someone humbling. said, "Hey, so," and they didn't say, "Are you thinking?" They they said, "When are you going to jump back into full time ministry?" It wasn't like a if or a do you think. It's like, so when are you going to jump back in? And I'm like, I don't even know if I'm ready, because right. the call of a pastor is hard, and it's it's well, a, and it's it's a position that you have to be in such lockstep with your emotions and but your not family only that, and. But I mean, maybe God has called you out of that. And, then, and that's a conversation I really want to dive into sometime is, is can God call you out of something 
that he called that's, you into. That's a good conversation. And so there. for me, just a quick synopsis, I think that God can call you to different things. And I always re- reference it to a book, right? There's different, and you've heard me talk about this. Yeah, different, different chapters. Different chapters of life. God may have you on the mission field today and have you in a different mission field, quote unquote, AKA the family life or inner city or something tomorrow. And it may not look the same just because you're not in this doesn't mean God's still not using you. Oh, I agree. And we all have, but we all have different gifts that we're supposed to use for the body. hundred percent. But I think right for me personally, I think you've used a lot of your pastoral gifts, not saying that you couldn't ever do it again. But for me, like I look at how you interact with your clients Mm -hmm. and, and all the ministry you do there and using your pastoral gifts for that. Your your family, holy cow! Now that's some pastoral ministry right there. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'm working on that one. I understand, but, <laughs> but then the, the podcast, you know, the podcast you're using pastoral ministry, and so I I do see the gifts still being used, um, which I think is good because it still keeps you fresh on your gifts. And then maybe if God ever calls you back into that specific role again, that you're, st- I don't think it'd be rusty. I don't think you'd have to knock any rust off. No, nope. if you need someone to fill your pulpit, give me a call. I guess I don't know. We'll see. So, anyways, that is not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about coffee. We're going to talk about no coffee because I forgot my coffee cup upstairs when we did the live stream. No, you said I can't have no more coffee. That's true. I did say that. Because we are ready at Jitterbug. I still had some coffee left upstairs that I took upstairs with me because I was going to Are you working tomorrow? No. You got tomorrow off? I have tomorrow off, but I got got to go over to my father-in-law's house and work on his lawnmower. So, you're working. Well, I don't consider. I see. I don't consider it work no, spending time with my father in law. You're not <laughs> well, getting paid. To be I don't the care about paid. I just like to. I enjoy doing that kind of stuff for him. So, anyways, but because no, it's more the fact of uh, it's late, and if we have coffee, we are never going to bed. Well, that's my. I get high anxiety if I drink too much coffee before bed, and then like I have panic attacks all night, and that's what I don't want. And we don't want that. That's when no. coffee consumption is bad. Yes. So I one cup at night, and I'm you know I'm a one cupper now on the podcast, and when we do two or three episodes, it's like one, one cu- cuppa, one cup. The one cup the first episode i and forgot then the to refill my water so i have nothing whereas you got a nice little lemonade and a bubbly over well, there. well the bubbly's gone the bubbly was what gone was, what was the bubbly strawberry it was strawberry pineapple Ooh. it was really good we got a uh we tried that brand strawberry uh this is uh, the best one of this brand cherry what was it it's cherry something i don't like the cherries. It was gross i don't like the cherry but this cherry, one cherry limeade it wasn't my, good in my opinion this is the best one of that brand and so uh, genial is that all the brand is that kroger this is uh Pure, pure aqua. I think this is Aldi. Meyer? No, it's either Aldi or Walmart. That's the only place we shop. Well, other than Costco. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's Aldi. I mean, it might Anyways. be Aldi. Beth does Instacart nowadays, so yeah. I don't even know. So, well, we do pickups, so <laughs> we order online, just drive up and pick it up. But, uh, yeah, so we were drinking your, we didn't even look. I think it's, I still think it's Ugandan. We'll have to take a look, but it's from Forte Coffee in St. Joe, yeah. Michigan. And it was good. I it mean, It was yummy. It was good for an African coffee. I mean, you, I, I Go back to the last week's episode if he you want to. gave it a freaking four. <laughs> I gave it a seven. But if you are here for this but, episode, and either this is, yeah. might be your first time on the podcast or you skipped the last episode, I want to encourage you. I mean, you can listen to this one shirt, finish, finish this one. But this is a launching pad. This is part two. We just We're, we stopped using part two in topics because y'all stopped listening when we said part two. Yeah, but so, we got to know your history. Got to have That's your, true. We talk about church history. And you'll get the whole having your, your spiritual pulse checked. You'll understand that. You'll understand that if you listen to last week. But before we jump in, we have a very quick review to read. And this review is from over in Facebook, which Facebook just 
resetted itself. So give me a second. We have 26 reviews on Facebook. Wow. Um, not, not not a lot of recent ones, but we've had some pretty good ones. But yeah, this one comes from one. March 13th from Jesse Sullivan. If I read this already once, my bad. But it says, these guys are awesome. They bring a lot of fun, laugh, and biblical truth. Their personalities are relatable, and I always respect how honest they are. I drive a lot, drive around a lot for my job, so it's been fun listening to their older episodes and catching up. They mm. become my new favorite podcast. So all you guys that have left reviews, like I, I wanted to check in on this one specifically. So Nathan left the review back on November 8th. And he said he started listening in October. What's the last name? Of, let me uh, see, let me Sproxton. See. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't, Nathan I don't Sproxton started listening that. October 22. He said, I've listened during work. I've already gotten through 36 episodes. And then he did an update in March of 2023 and said he's now on episode 99. So Nathan Sproxton, right there. give us an update, bro. Are you oh, caught up? Oh, you're halfway there. Live it on a prayer. That hurt. <laughs> I just came off strep throat, man. That hurt. So when you guys think we're prideful Ooh. and humble, then we do stuff like that. And it's like, you can't think that we are because we know we wow, suck. Wow, that one hurt so bad. I'm crying. <laughs> Holy crap. You see the love I had for you guys? Wow. That hurt. But anyway, so Nathan that was Sproxton, wow, that really hurt. Let us know where you're at, bro. You caught up yet or not? I don't know. But leave us a review anywhere you can leave reviews, which is pretty much Apple Podcasts or Facebook, I guess. So if you're yeah. on Facebook... He was review over there too, because that's pretty dang cool. So and for all you wonderful people that have already left us reviews, we yep. thank you because you help us get into the ears of other listeners, which is the only reason why we ask for a rating or a comment or a review or whatever. It's not for us and our uh, the one person. We want to beat Dale Partridge. One, one one person. I don't care about Dale Partridge. <laughs> I care. I care about spreading the word of God. Fine. And we want to beat Joel Osteen. Okay, I do want to beat him. We want to beat. <laughs> I don't want to beat him. I want to beat him because he spreads a lot of false doctrine. Oh shoot, what's your name? I want to straight up. We want to beat Sadie Robertson. But here's the thing. Good I, podcast. But here's the thing with, with Joel Olstein. I want to straight up Saint Nicholas him. <laughs> there we go. Anyways, we do not condone violence on the podcast. No, we, we need to make sure in today's culture we say that we are not saying anyone should hit anybody ever. Follow ankle. Never nobody. for any reason except for Saint Nicholas. With the word of God, what? <laughs> Bible thumping. <laughs> All right, bro. So catch us right. up to speed so, for this episode. A quick recap, a very quick recap. Uh, last week we discussed uh, what church history was, and we went through several of the uh, ages of church history from Jesus and the apostles to the Christian empire through the Middle Ages, and we ended on the Reformation. And so we're going to pick up from there and finish up the rest of the ages of the church and then we're going to start discussing uh, some, where, where some of these sources of church history came from and why it will benefit us uh, to study and why we should study the church history, right? Because really, that's, that, that's where we bring all the, uh, the proof into the pudding, if you know what proof I mean. Proof in the pudding. The pu- pudding. <laughs> oh, inside note. That's I, your new nickname is pudding. <laughs> he just said that. He's not trying to sneak Easter eggs into the episode, I don't think. That's no, just full. That, that's just mean. That was a fun episode with Morgan. That's just mean, All Mark. them Easter eggs. Mark is so mean. 29? Anyways, so uh, the next uh, age we're going to dive into is the Age of Reason and Revival. And this happened from, this is after the Reformation, happened from 1648 to 1789. So novel schools of thought filled the 17th century, none more powerful than reason itself. It asked, who needs God? Man can make it on his own. That kind of sounds like today. 
Christians screamed their objections, but the idea spread until secularism filled the public life of Western societies. God remained, but only as a matter of personal choice, sounds like today. Mm -hmm. Christians could no longer appeal to the arm of power to suppress such heresies. So many of them turned instead to the way of the apostles praying and preaching. The result was a series of evangelical revivals, chiefly pietism, Methodism, and the Great Awakening. By preaching and personal uh, conversions, evangelicals tried to restore God to the public life. This seems so prevalent for the culture that we are in today. It's unreal. Yep. And and, and this is the thing, too. If you you listen to those time periods, 1648 to 1789... We're talking American and French revolutions right now. Right. Where it now the American Revolution, yes, there's a lot of and, Christian yeah, things of it, in yeah. there. Sure, there's a lot of Christian things that were going on in there. But I mean, we talked about was was America a Christian nation at its founding? The answer is mm, there's a lot of it Christian had, Western principles. It had Christian influence. You cannot deny based upon the people. You cannot deny the influence that Christianity had in the Correct. entire founding of our nation. But this was the age of reason. Well, so. You had to come out with apologetic defenses, and you see Jonathan Edwards, who was one of the greatest orators. This is where you actually see, fun fact, the um, this although is, the early— This is George Whitfield era. George Whitfield, uh, uh, Jonathan Wesley, I think yep, John Owens was yep, part of this. Right, yep. John Charles Wesley. Uh, you see Matthew, Jonathan Matthew Edwards. Henry. Matthew Henry was around this time, too. Yep. So this is the age of the Separatists and the Puritans with when it comes to this. And with all of these different conversations around these topics— um. Shoot, I completely lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, oh, it was the fact of you had to see apologetics start to come to the forefront. So you started to see these orators having to debate, not even just secularists, but you also start to see the fall of like major universities like Yale and Harvard and and, and Oxford, even Oxford right, over in England. Right. And everything happened in England like way before it was over in the States. But then I'm going to say this is when, you know, Harvard and Yale blew themselves up, but you see like uh, Jonathan Edwards and in in, uh, in Whitfield like not even allowed to. Well, no, that's not true. They were allowed to be part of it. Um, I'm getting part of my church history is confused. They, they were they, well. Whitfield was still dealing with such so much of this that even his ideas in the churches, which were turning very liberal and secularist churches, he was pushed out of many many pulpits in in London and it wasn't allowed to preach there anymore, which is why he ended up saying, well, if I can't preach here, I'm going to preach in the fields and fun fact. And I know you know this, but maybe our listeners don't know this, that George Whitfield, his, his request for a burial site was to be buried underneath the last pulpit that he preached at the oh. pulpit. He died at. Did you know this? Nope. So he, I'm di- sure I heard it once upon a time, he but preached no. at a house. He was due to preach at a pulpit the next day near this house that he was staying at. He preached from the balcony of this house, ended up dying and suffocating. And I forget what it was from, but he suffocated to death. But they actually buried his body beneath the pulpit he was intended to preach at the very next day. Wow. It was interesting. So that's where his body lay rest. So so my bad. So Jonathan Edwards did graduate from Yale. Yes. But there was something where he was, inv- oh, he was invited back to speak at Harvard. And there was still like, you know, like rivalries. There's always sure. rivalries about Harvard and Yale. And he went there and he found out that they were starting to get very liberal in theology. And he went ham. Oh, yeah. On justification. And, and- if you have not read some of Jonathan Edwards' works, they are so theologically high i guess they're they're like way up here theologically uh sometimes it's hard for me to understand <laughs> what he's trying to get to but 
his writings are just exquisite. They're just I haven't read Sinners in the Hand of Nanny Rod in many, many years. But either way, so the, so the Age of Reason and Revival, it's really interesting that it says, who needs God? Right. Man can make it on his own, which is right. the new age of skepticism that we're dealing with right now. And Christians scream their objections, and that's where we're at. But the idea of secular secularism filled the public life of Western societies, which, it again, it, it's very cyclical if you look at it, yep. right? So, so we've gone through this before. And it, and it looks like we've gone through it. So we went through a it. A couple different times. We've gone through it a couple different times now. You know, we did the Christian Middle Ages. It was kind of the thing where we see that the church was more power hungry and, and looking at that. And we got very secular and away from the, uh, we strayed away. And then we went for the Age of Reformation, which lasted 150 years. Then after that, we went through 150 years of the Age of Reason and Revival. And then leading from that, we go into the Age of Progress, 1789 to 1914. The Age of Progress saw Christians of all sorts of, wage and valiant struggle against the advance of secularism out of the evangelical awakenings came new efforts to carry the gospel of Christ to distant lands and to begin a host of social service ministries in industrial Europe and North America from the ramparts of Rome, a defensive papacy fired a barrage of missiles aimed at the modern enemies of the Catholic faith. In spite of Christians' best efforts, however, Christianity was slowly driven from public life in the Western world. Believers were left with the problem we recognize in our own time. How can Christians exert moral influence in pluralistic and totalitarian societies where Christians' assumptions about reality no longer prevail? And, and this it's an interesting segue of who needs God, man can make it on, on their own. Because everyone had the Christian moral backbone that was taught based right. on Western society. I mean, we had hospitals, we had higher education, all these things that were legit founded upon Christianity and Christian principles 100%. of taking care of the poor and the widow and the orphan. And the social issues that were at bay, the Christians stepped into that gap and filled it. And then all of a sudden they're like, ah, we don't need God anymore. When it's like, you fools, you idiots, Christians yeah. are the ones who started this in the first yeah, place. So right. now you're saying we can do it on our own without God, even though God was the reason why we did it. And then it just keeps progressing and progressing and progressing to the point where Christians now all of a sudden, like I was talking about, how can we exert moral influence in the world? Which my question is, is are Christians supposed to exert moral influence in the world or is our our ploy supposed to be slightly different? But yeah, this was, so this was leading up from 1789, which was uh, in history. um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of who was around during that time. I mean, it was 1770, well, not not people-wise, but this was right after the American Revolution into the Civil War. Yep. This and then is, right up to World War One. Well, this is... Right? 19, was, 1917 is when World well, War I Well, you got the Revolutionary War. You got the War of 1812. You got the French Revolutionary War. You've yep. got... I mean, there's a lot of wars going on. This is a time of turmoil. You got the Civil War. Then you're going into uh, World War One. the Korean... I mean, this is where all this is... Yeah, it's leading right into World War One. So... Um, yeah, just a lot of turmoil during that time, uh, uh, at least here in the States. Um, and, I mean, really, w- between the French Revolution and, and England being at war with us, uh, I mean, really, it was a lot of turmoil worldwide from the from the known empires, right? Yep. The, the big empires of the, of the French and the uh, English. So. And then in America, the denominations were growing like wildfire. But then this is where the Catholic Church over in Europe started to, like it said, really started to lose its influence. Right, right. In, in Western Western Europe. But, yep. All right, so so that so, was the age of progress. That was the age of progress. So now we dive into the age of ideologies, 1914 to 1990. So this is basically World War One to when present, we were born. present time-ish, kind of. And then it got, yeah. Yeah, when we were born. Well, but when I was born, you weren't born yet. 
90, you, yeah, you weren't nope. born. I was here. All right. This so, does lead uh, into the moral, <laughs> moral majority. So the depth of the problem was apparent in the age of ideologies. When new gods arose to claim the loyalties of secular people, Nazism exalted the state, communism worshipped the party, and American democracy revered the individual's rights. Supposed enlightenment, modern nations waged two global wars in an attempt to establish the supremacy of these new deities. When no single ideology prevailed, a cold war of coexistence settled upon the once Christian nations. Mm -hmm. Though these troubled minds, or I'm sorry, these troubled times, the denominations struggled over orthodox and liberal theologies, sought fresh ways to recover a lost unity, and reflect a new hunger for apostolic experiences, a.k.a. this is where the charismatic movement came. Mm -hmm. After World War II, vigorous new Christian leadership emerged in the third world, offering Fresh hope for a new day for the old faith. Had missionaries from the neo-pagan nations of Europe and North America succeeded in giving Christianity a stake in the future by carrying the gospel to Africa and Latin America? Only time will tell. But Christians can hope because faith always reaches beyond earthly circumstances. It, it can uh, Its confidence is in a person, and no other person in recorded history had influenced more people in as many conditions over such a long time as Jesus Christ. The shades and tones of his image seem uh, to shift with the needs of the people. The Jewish Messiah of the believing remnant, the wisdom of the Greek apologist, the cosmic king of the imperial church, the heavenly logos of the orthodox council, the world ruler of the papal courts, the monastic model of apostolic poverty, the personal savior of evangelical revivalists. Truly, he is the man for all time in a day when many regard him as irrelevant, a relic of quickly discarded past. Church history provides a quiet testimony that Jesus Christ will not disappear from the scene. His title may change, but his truth endures for all generation. So that's kind of all the ages leading up through. And it's interesting. So, now, so right? and we didn't go into this part too much, but it, over the course of 2,000 years, every age we've had in the church, um, and, and we even kind of skipped over the ages within the specific denominations themselves because yeah, each right. denomination has its own history. Correct. Like, I mean, shoot, I didn't take a Baptist history class. And there's so many different histories that we can find, even the Catholic Church with the Council of Trent and Trent II and the Vatican Councils. And then you have Eastern Orthodox and all the stuff they've had to go oh, through. Yeah. And then we've had a, you know, a, a unity of... You know, Catholics hating Protestants, Protestants hating Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox, we just ignored. And then all of a sudden, we're trying to come together to figure out what the main things are, the main things, and be brothers and sisters, and are we, and trying to have these conversations. And, you know, when we're looking throughout the course of church history, it's very unique to see that there has always been a reason for people to say Christianity is going to die in this generation. Yeah. You know, and you look throughout all the, 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 the times in history and all the different issues that came up, such as the... Uh, shoot, like you know, when people were trying to spread Christianity to the to the to the to the masses, and the 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 church was you know chopping people down left and right. Well, you had the persecution from Rome back yep. in the time of the apostles. You had the persecution in the Middle Ages. You've had the persecution of the Reformation. I mean, there's constantly been persecution of the church. And, and even in today's world, we have the persecution of, you know, communism over with China and other countries where it's absolutely flat out illegal Socialism, to I be mean, a Christian. all sorts of stuff. Um, you have places where you have to run and hide if you even call yourself a Christian in the right. Middle East, the 1030 window. Yep. Um, Christians, uh, to be honest, people say we are persecuted. Yeah, we're dealing with some persecution, but last time I did, you can still speak your, you know, talk your talk. You might get canceled, but you ain't going to get killed. Right. Um, but, you know, it always seems like, oh, God and, you know, God, Jesus can't survive whatever we're dealing with in culture. And there is an encouragement to see that, you know, 
again, there's nothing new under the sun. We've seen the p- things in the past that have happened, and and then we can be encouraged to know that Jesus still ain't going anywhere. And this is why, you know, um, since Timothy Keller died, uh, I've been trying to, you know, read more of his stuff again and listen to some of his works. And um, when he went to go plant a church in New York City, the mm-hmm. most liberal, maybe not the most liberal, but the most liberal, yuppie, single, yuppie is young urban professionals, um, they were like, it's a dying area. All the churches inside New York City are dying or they're gone. So liberal, conservative, evangelical churches cannot grow. And then they grew into like a massive five to six campus ministry over the course of like him being there for 20, 30 years. And because he was not scared to ask the big questions. and But it's, it's beyond him, right? It yes. was because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Right. And right. No, no one comes to the father by, by him. And that's the, the, the truth that remains all e- eternal. Doesn't matter who you are or who the people were of the past that spoke these things. They all spoke the same message. And that right. was that of Jesus. Yep. And that's what Timothy Keller was saying is the fact that we are teaching Jesus. We're not teaching, you know, right wing. We're not teaching left wing. We're not teaching just social justice. We're not teaching just spiritual matters. He goes, we're trying to follow the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And, and that's why he, Timothy Keller was hated from both sides. And, but he flat out said, he goes, you know, the, the cities are looking for answers because they're learning that the, all the hopes and aspirations they have are falling short. And that's what it seems like it's been throughout the entire age of church history of there's all these different things, but it always falls short. Right. And obviously there's different times in history where, you know, Christianity was the official empire, like empire religion. You were killed if you weren't, you know, we had people who are being baptized into, you know, pagans who were baptized into the church and right. leading the church. We have even in America with the halfway covenant, where, you know, this is the pro- one of the problems with infant baptism is they're like, oh, shoot. So we have all these kids and they're pagans, but their parents are Christians. But with the baptism in the church, that's how it goes. And so they made a halfway covenant where those who didn't follow Jesus could still be baptized and the kids could still be baptized and participate in the entire social fabric of the, the area where they lived. And so there still are issues that we have always had to deal with. But the beautiful thing about looking through the past of church history is there has been so many issues that we have had to deal with where we've had to fight for orthodoxy. And that's kind of the theme that I've seen throughout all these different ages that that you will of every single time there were men and women who fought for no what does the bible say mm. what does god say what does jesus say what does god have for us and time and time again it's not tradition that leads the way it's going back to the scriptures themselves and because the question is is can tradition stand on its own two feet can the Bible stand on its own two feet? But if we're trying to follow the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles, and we have these works that have been passed through all of antiquity, and these were people's prized possessions, and they were killed and slaughtered over just owning fragments of these New Testament letters, you know, mm-hmm. I think we take for granted the Bibles that we have and that the the the, the rich history that we have. And when, when people want to, and I know I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you're way ahead. You're way out at the when, end. Buddy. When people, when people talk about church history all the time and they, they just want to throw it away. Oh, I just want to go back to the new Testament church and screw the last 2000 years. And we need to throw that away because of, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, we're standing on the shoulders of giants that have paved the way for the church of, of today. And, you know, that's the, that's the cool thing of looking through all these different ages of the fact of what has prevailed. Yes, the church has, but ultimately, it's the message of Jesus that ultimately prevailed. Because even right. when the church was the government and doing a lot of not so good things, or the church was ruled by powerful people who literally just wanted to pillage those who were in their care, and even in today's church where it's run by literally CEO type people who just use and abuse their congregants, we see that it's not the church that prevails. The church is the bride of Christ, but it's ultimately Jesus that prevails. 
Sorry, that's my end, end of my rant. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. I mean, Mark just jumped way out ahead. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't read the end of the show notes. So uh, that's my I, I love my it. Opinion. I love it because before we started, she's like, oh, so Mark just needs to be quiet. I'm like, yeah, it's just setup material. Let me get through the setup and then we'll get in the car. And you're like, okay, I'll just be quiet. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I don't, I I don't know I, how. I love it, man. I love it. All right. So you've talked my bad, a lot about my what bad, I want to get into here in a sec. But first, before we get into the, the why... And the benefit, like you were just talking about, which is great. It's all true stuff, what you said. Uh, but it was too fast. Where did all this church history come from, though? We got to understand it. Okay, so you've gone through the history, but how do we know this is the actual history? How do we know that that we're getting decent, And I think that's a facts, really right? good question. So, like, where does all this come from? So, where, yeah. um, from, from the very beginning of the church, you know, the age of, of Christ and the apostles, all the way through to, to now, where, you know, where, where does this all come in? And, and there's two sources where it comes from. Uh, it comes from written sources and unwritten sources. And so we're going to hmm. kind of go through some of that. So the sources okay. of church history, the data on which we rely on for our knowledge, are partly divine, partly human for the history of the kingdom of God from the creation to the close of the apostolic age. We have inspired writings of the Old and New Testaments. But after the death of the apostles, we only have human authorities, which we cannot claim to be infallible. These human sources are partly written, partly unwritten. So what are the written sources? What do they include? So A would be official documents of ecclesiastical and civil authorities, acts of the councils and synods, confessions of faith, liturgies, church laws and the official letters of popes, patriarchs, bishops, and uh, representative bodies. So this is like the church in Nicaea, the church, or the, I'm sorry, the council of Nicaea, the council of Constantinople. These are some of the, what was that early Christian book that you're talking the didache? Yeah. 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 The didache, yeah. Yeah. So I have that somewhere. The, yeah. That you mentioned that last copy. time. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, you have all these extra non-biblical, non-inspired, non infallible works right so yep. uh these are some of the documents that come from that these are some of the early like uh the uh, shepherd of hermes and stuff like you know there's just these different teachings that came out that are not necessarily biblical or canon um but they do kind of give some history of what was being taught during that time so uh the second thing of our written sources is private writings of personal actors in the history the works of church fathers heretics and and heathen authors for the certain first six centuries of the missionaries, scholastic and mystic divines for the middle age and for the reformers and their opponents for the 16th century. These documents are the richest minds for the historians. They give history in its birth and actual movement, but they must be carefully sifted and weighed, especially the controversial writings where fact in general, more or less adultered with the party spirit, heretical and orthodox. So these are like your writings of like origin, of of uh Tertullian, uh Saint of Aries, Saint Ignatius. I mean, you know, so both sides, heretical and non-heretical. Yep. Uh, of what we consider, and that's why they, you know, we should be careful when we're sifting through these to that they're not always going to be a hundred percent biblical. That's why we should always read them with caution. But read them, right? It's still part of our history, and we get the teaching and and um the understanding of the early church fathers who were closer to the apostles who were closer to Jesus and his teachings. And this is why I think it's good for us to read it with caution, right? Making sure it lines up with scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third thing is the accounts of chronicles and historians, whether friends or enemies who were eyewitnesses of what they relate. The value of these depend of course on the capacity and credibility of the authors to determine by careful criticism. Subsequent historians can be counted among their direct or immediate sources only so far as they have drawn from the reliability, I'm sorry, reliable and contemporary documents, which have either wholly or partially lost. 
like many of Eusebius's authorities for the period before Constantine, or uh, or are inaccessible to historians generally, as are the papal regista, 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 I think so, oh. and other documents of the uh, Vatican Library. So there's a lot of history, actually, a lot of early church history relies on the Vatican Library. And I want to know what's down there. Me too, Joe. I want to know what's down Joe, there. Joe, Joe, can you help us out here, man? Those are private. Yeah, you got to be the Pope to be, be able to read those. But that, that was how cool would those be to see some of that that history that's I been think reserved. It's not fair. Uh, yeah, me too. But anyway, so anyways, um, but yeah, you know, like uh, historians like Eusebius, uh, Josephus, uh, even even I'm trying to remember the Roman, no the Roman general. Tacitus. Oh, Tacitius. Oh, 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 yes, I didn't talk about. Yep. Tacitus was a Roman, uh, who wrote a Roman general to, who wrote these letters yep. to to Rome to Caesar. Uh, those are kind of even considered somewhat historical in some of the accounts of, of like uh, the fall of Jerusalem, right? So these are these are things that we look at different historical documents that way. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fourth thing of the written things is the inscriptions, especially those on tombs and catacombs, revealing the faith and hope of Christians in times of persecution among the ruins of Egypt and Babylonian whole libraries have been disentombed and deciphered containing mythological and religious records, Royal proclamations, historical, astronomical and poetical compositions, revealing an extinct civilization and shedding light on some parts of old Testament history, Mm. not only old Testament history, but there are even like boxes where uh, they found a box that they don't know whose remnants are in it, but it has like the names of, of Jesus and Joseph. And there's one other Peter. There's one other on this box. And they're like, oh, this is a big thing. It was something they discovered. Mm, I didn't know that many years ago. Yeah. So this is like your archaeological evidence, yep. right? That we find. Which, speaking of Africa, man, I wish we knew there was the. I mean, the one of the 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 the, 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 the largest library was the library at Alexandria that was burnt. Right. And we lost so much history and historical writings in there, which is fascinating because um, uh, people may not realize this, but some of the best and known monks came out of. Northeast Africa and Northern Africa. So Christianity is not just a white man religion. It started in the Middle East and then grew all through Northern Africa. I was going to say, it's, it was never a white man religion. <laughs> it that's was an people, Ara- That's what people want to say it nowadays. It was though. an Arab religion that, that yep, spread that across went, the world. It went African and then also went into Europe. Yep. Okay. So the the other part of, of sources that we look at are the unwritten sources, and they're uh, far less numerous, right? Uh, uh, there's church uh, edifices, works of sculpture and painting and other monuments, religious customs and ceremonies, very important for the history of worship and ecclesiastical art and significant of the spiritual uh, spirit of their age. The works of art are symbolic embodiments of the various types of Christianity. The plain symbols and crude sculptures of the catacombs correspond to the period of persecution. The Ballast by King Basilicas. The Basilicas. Thank oh, you. Oh, now to we the got Nicene, one right here in Notre Dame. To the Nicene Age, the Byzantine churches, to the genius of the Byzantine state uh, churchisms, the Gothic mm. cathedrals, and the Romani, Romano Germanic. Romano Germanic. <laughs> thank you. You're ca- welcome. Catholicism of the Middle Ages. Notre Dame. The, the, yeah, right. The re- Renaissance style to the uh, revival of letters. To come down to the more recent times, the spirit of Romanism can be best appreciated amidst amidst the dead and living monuments of Rome, Italy, and Spain, Lutheranism, 
must be studied in Wittenberg, North, Northern Germany and Scandinavia, Calvinism in Geneva, France, Holland, and Scotland, uh, Anglicanism at Oxford, Cambridge, and London, Presbyterianism in Scotland and in the United States, Congregationalism in England and, the New, and New England, for in the mother countries of these uh, denominations were generally found, uh, we generally find not only the largest printed and manuscript sources, but also the or architectural, sculptural, sepulchral, Wow, I cannot speak tonight. These are a lot of big and, words, though. And man. other monumental remains, the nature, the natural associations, oral traditions, and living representatives of the past, who, 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 however, they may have departed from the faith of their ancestors, still exhibit the national genius, social condition, habits, and customs, often in a far more instructive manner than the ponderous printed volumes. Hmm. So, art, sculptures, architect. Those types of things. Those are the things, the paintings. The visual this is, history. That this is where have. we say, man, the Catholic Church has some of the best Christian art ever. <laughs> like some of their renditions of, of Christianity. You know, Bob just, Jones, you know, they're starting to sell off a lot of their art pieces, but Bob Jones University had the largest religious arts gallery in all of uh, all America for many, many years. But mm. I think they're starting to sell some of the pieces off. Um, it was even like... Like the Vatican even admitted that. Wow. But 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 yeah, you, you got a lot of artwork. You got buildings. You have you know drawings. You have paintings. You have pictures. You have um, this is where tradition I think is a beautiful thing. As much right. as we do, I don't want to say slam tradition, but you, we want to make sure we put it in its rightful place. Right, but exactly, tradition's not right. bad. No, well, we tra have to have tradition's tradition. not bad to a point as long as it doesn't take place over over scripture over scripture like even each church like presbyterian art, versus lutheran versus protestant i'm not protestant, art Baptist, is not all a, different traditions well, art's not a bad thing nope. as long as it doesn't take place of an idol in your mind right so these are the things that you, you as a personal christian have to in your walk with christ look at right for you cuz i can't i can't say oh you got a a picture of Jesus praying in the garden, that's an idol. I can't tell that because it may not be to you. It just may be a, a beautiful piece of art that reminds you to, hey, man, I need to pray today. Or, hey, I need to get in the Bible And today. honestly, and, and presence may shoot me for this one, but I don't even fully know if icons are as bad as what some people make them out to well, be. Well, again, I think you just need to be careful, right? Yeah. The, the icons need to be looked at in, in, a, in the right perspective and right place, right? If, if you hold them up over something that it shouldn't be, then, then it's wrong right now. It's, it, it's, you're have an idol. Right. And so that's where some people say it's better to not have any of it because then I'm not, which, testing, is, fair. which is fair. And there's people that say, no, I can have it and not make it an idol, which is fair. I think either way is fair. But once you make it an idol in your life, now you got some problems. So mm -hmm. it really comes down to that personal walk and that personal conviction about those types of things. But there are some beautiful pieces of artwork that I thoroughly, I love going to P Pensacola Christian college has, in their, um, in the Crown Center, there's this big rock wall where they have carved out different stories throughout the Bible. Really, it's really beautiful. It's so amazing. Inside of what building? It's called the Crown Center. That's like their main like church. Yeah. Look oh, at, where you go to mass for PCC? Yeah, Did it, you guys it, call it mass back then? No, we didn't. I oh, just that's what it. we call it. North like, oh, those PCC PC, PCC kids got to go to mass today. Yeah, it's Pensacola Concentration so what is it Camp. Uh, the Crown Center. So. Um, man, it's some beautiful artwork. Yeah, just put uh, to rock art and Crown Center or something like that. It might it might pull up. It's in their foyer too. It's not even in the church. It's it's like inside the foyer. I'll area. find it. I'll find it. So anyway, or maybe it was in their. Oh, maybe it was in their arts. I can't remember. It's even it, if it wasn't in the Crown Center, it was in their arts center. Whatever. Anyways, I'll find it. So it, 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 yeah. So I mean. 
art has its rightful place, right? I think it, it's a, something that helps remind us as long as it doesn't become an idol in our life. Anyways, so we've talked about all the different church ages. We've gone through all that. Mark, you have been like exploding with knowledge. I really appreciate you in this one. So let's get into what you were talking about back about 10 minutes ago, 15 What's minutes ago. What's the benefits of studying church history? Yeah, what, why, do, why, why do we even need to study it? Because well, I mean, if those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, recognize exactly. that one. Uh, yeah, so Bam. I'm going to read each of these points. This is a, a, an article that I read from Dr. Scott Manor from Knox Theological Seminary. It's a reformed seminary, but I really love this point so we can discuss each one. Okay. Do, uh, do we want to read them and then discuss? Or I'm gonna, discuss we go? I'm going to read them. I'm going to read the first one. We can discuss the first one. Read the second one. We can discuss cool, it. Cool, I'll cool, go cool, back cool. and forth. Kind of like what we were doing with the church age. Because yep. I, I want to give you opportunity to talk and not just sit there and look pretty. So still look pretty. So uh, number one, church history helps us better understand the Bible and avoid theological mistakes. Yep. Ever heard of a guy named Marcion? 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 Yeah, I say Marcion. However you want to pronounce it. It's, it's so much easier in my mind. I can just like read it and be like, yeah, I know what I'm saying. And then I go to say it and I'm like, ah, yeah. He was a second century heretic who couldn't reconcile what seemed to be a demanding, petty, cruel, and vindictive God of the Old Testament with the gracious, forgiving, and loving Jesus of the New Testament, which... You know, the funny thing is, is we see this a lot in this day and age. So he concluded there must be two gods, the pathetic and insufferable bad God who created the world and the kind and gentle good God or yin and yang. Uh, Jesus, was, whose purpose is to redeem us from the bad God, not to him. So Marcion unhitched his belief in Jesus from the Old Testament by, by getting rid of it. Good thing. No Christian, especially an evangelical preacher, would ever make such a mistake today. The hell's a slam Andy Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> want to learn more? Okay, that's hard. Yeah, okay. I don't want, I'm not, anyways. So, but, but, the, but there's but, a Knox Lecture series called Good God versus Bad God. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's got a bunch of these. But there's a lot of mistakes. There's Gnosticism. There's a separation versus dualities versus right, good versus evil and right. the struggle. There's the question of how do we handle. Free will but we, but versus we see predestination. It. But we see this a lot today of the of the good, bad, get, bad God, or good God, bad God. If God is so good, then why did he blah, 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 X, Y, Z? Or when did when did Jesus become God? Was it right. his baptism? Right. Was it during no. the first miracle? Was Just he always, always was. this way? Or, you know, the Mormon conversation of was Jesus created or has Jesus always been? Did, how, did you, when, why, how did Jesus empty himself? Right. When he emptied himself... Did he actually lose his godness, and did he regain it right. after he came back to life? Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Gnosticism was a very, very big one. Um, that the, was more where they were separating the spiritual and the physical, So right? you could the do whatever you all, wanted. You all could, matter and physical elements were evil. And and they were talking about, so so whatever you want to do with your body, whether it's eat, gorge yourself, sex, yep. whatever physical thing, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow would die. It's cool because our soul is the only thing that matters. That's so the, the only eternal and good matter. thing. So when you get saved, your soul is saved, but the body is still evil and and it doesn't yep, matter. Conversation around the but, Trinity and a lot of theology. I mean, even shoot. I mean, even down to the, how, how does the Lord's supper work? Oh yeah. Oh I mean, yeah. It helps it, us understand. Is there what seven the Bible sacraments is. or there's two sacraments? What are the sacraments? Why are they important? You know, it just goes on and on and yep. on and on. Transubstantiation. And I that's mean, the thing is so many people today are like, Oh, I can't believe I was never taught this in church or in youth group or that the church never talked about it. Well, to be honest with you, yeah, maybe some pastors and youth pastors need to step up and talk about this, but also do your dang own research. Cause there's 2000 years of church history that you can read about. And you know what? There's a lot of podcasts out there, including real talk, Christian podcasts that talk about these types of issues and and theological debates. Yep. So, I mean, we got 
200 and what is it, six episodes plus all the bonus content? It's true. I mean, content. it helps us better understand the Bible and avoid the last And right. the other thing, too, that that's interesting is church history also helps us understand with not just avoiding theological mistakes, but where some of the theological frameworks even stem from. Too. Right. Right. So, yeah. So number two uh, from uh, Dr. Scott. <laughs> this is a funny one. Dr. Scott, church history is really, really interesting. Sure dang is. And it definitely is. So here are just a few examples of what he means. Uh, his doctrinal research is essentially about a fourth century church father who held such a grudge against one of his predecessors that he manufactured an atrocity, yet completely bogus, heresy based on the, his nemesis's statement. This heresy <laughs> supposedly existed within the church and supposedly tried to do away with the gospel of John. The only thing is that... That heresy was nothing more than a baseless rumor. Two, remember Marcian? One church father, Polycarp, oh, Polycarp, is known for running out of the public baths or sands cloths after seeing him, all the while cl- calling him the firstborn of Satan. You firstborn of Satan! Uh, That's some wild crap, man. Number three, early on, Romans accused Christians of secret flagrant crimes like Atheism, yep. cannibalism, yep. and incest because they didn't worship the pagan gods, partook of the body and blood of Jesus, and greeted one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> Fascinating stuff, huh? Dig a little deeper and you'll see all so- loads of stories just like these, like St. Nicholas punching Arius. Like, there are a lot of cool stories. It's, it is interesting. Now, I will say there are... The thing that we have to remember with church history is there's a lot of ugly with the Christian church oh, history, too. Yeah. So I know the next point we're talking about, which is point three, and I'll just say it for you, is church history gives us reason for optimism, but you also have to know that just as much optimism there is, there's a lot of things that I read it, and I'm like, dang, if this is what Christianity is all about, I want nothing to do with this. I mean, thankfully, that's not where the story ends. Right. Well, but you and, go back and you look at it, and you're like, is this really where Christianity was? And if you compare the Christianity where you see the the pessimistic side, I would say, yeah, and compare it with Scripture, it's not the Christianity of the Bible. Nope. Just a little spoiler alert for you. So anyways, yeah, church history gives us a reason for optimism, right? Point three. Uh, in a recent Knox Chapel message, I re- this is quote, Dr. Scott. This is him saying it. I relate part of the, history, uh, the story of blood... Bland, Blandina. Blandina? Blandina. We're going to call it Bland. I like that. Blandina. A Christian woman who, along with dozens of other believers, were violently per- persecuted for their faith in Jesus. She and others endured three days of the worst kinds of tortures, including sitting on a red hot iron chair, being suspended on a stake as food for wild animals, and being tossed around in a basket by a wild bull. Why? Because Christianity was an illegal religion at the time. Now that's persecution. The culture did not or didn't understand and therefore didn't tolerate Christian beliefs. And believers were charged with all these all sorts of crimes they didn't commit. We remember the passages like the opening of First Peter that we as Christians are to expect trials. And we see in the story of Bladina what faithful Christian witnesses looked like amidst overwhelming persecution. The expansion of Christianity as a result of martyrdoms also reminds us of the power of the gospel in proclaiming Christ's victory over death and in spite of death. As Tertullian famously equipped, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Mm. Another thing, if Mm. you ever want to be kind of encouraged in a downer sort of way, I would encourage you to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. I've actually never read all the way through. Oh, my goodness. The, the passion that these people had in going to their deaths is astounding. Mm-hmm. It's astounding. 
It's astounding that, and this is to me how how we as Christians can 100% positively know that God is real. Because why would you want to endure stuff like this? And here's another one. If you're a, a fake guy. If you're a big reader, now this is something that I actually do credit. And Beth and I were just talking about this the other week of the thing that was really cool that we had as a part of our Christian education, specifically coming out of the conservative Baptist world, was missionary biographies. We had to read a lot of missionary yeah, biographies. Right. And when you read just missionary biographies, missionaries in the last 100, 150 years, when you see some of their faith that they had to, pers- that they had to go through and pursue Jesus in that you're looking at this and it fires you up because you're like, holy crap, if they could do that, I, I, can do I think it. I can be roasted on Twitter. I can, I can handle the comments from Facebook. Which is honestly hard. Hard for me to do. I ain't going to lie. It's hard sometimes. And and, and and other different conversations. But, you know, it should give us, like you said, reason for, not just reason for optimism, but it's one of those where it gives us even, again, Hebrews 11, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, it, it, it's it's kind of a downer, but it's kind of uplifting to see the faith that these people had as well. They were brought down to the grave, but brought back up in life. victory in Yeah, I tried to do a little bit of that. It didn't quite work as well as I had. It sounded better in my mind than before it left my mouth, but you know the idea. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There you go. And then from hence grew. All right. So uh, number four from Dr. Scott. Uh, Church history is the continued story of God working in and through his people. Throughout scripture, we see this. From the fall of humanity in the garden to his gracious covenants with the humanity throughout the Old Testament, leading to the new covenant in Christ's blood. And yet God's sovereignty over his creation and his church doesn't stop there. Church history is continued story of God's gracious dealing with his church. And man, is it gracious. Sure, there were some knuckleheads along the way. I love that. <laughs> uh, and and there were some brilliant folks too, though some they had, too had some moments of knuckleheadedness. <laughs> But that's no different from the characters we read about in the scripture. And just like scripture, church history is best understood not as a series of men and women doing important things, but rather God doing amazing things through sinful, broken people. Amen and amen. And that's precisely what we see throughout history. The consistency of God lovingly and graciously pursuing his people, despite the fact that we too tend to be, well, Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. I'm going to read that again. The consistency of God lovingly and graciously pursuing his people, despite basically the fact that we're knuckleheads because we screw up all the time. That's a, that's and a man, quote. If that's, that's some, a quote. If that's something that I can say speaks to my life as a knucklehead, because I'm a knucklehead, man, I am so thankful that God still lovingly and graciously pursues me, right? It's not just me pursuing God. It's God pursuing me and working with me because without God, pursuing me, I would never pursue God. That's what the scripture says. So thank the Lord. He pursues each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. So number five, this is the final one. And then we can give our final thoughts and, and close. Uh, Church history is about learning from others who wanted to know Jesus better. This is the main point of church history of the church history course they were teaching at Knox. And indeed, of all the courses at Knox, the first question is the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which I have upstairs. End of man. What is the chief end of man? The answer, of course, is to glorify God God and enjoy enjoy Him forever. I think we can do that more effectively by studying how our ancestors did the very same thing. Again, like you said earlier, standing on the shoulders of giants. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Through their stories, we are able to see God's unrelenting faithfulness. And as I reminded my students, this should result in us offering deep 
heartfelt praise and glory to our glorious King. So if you're not interested in really interesting stories about mankind's brokenness and God's faithfulness that will deepen your faith, show you more character of God and lead to optimism and richer worship of our God, then church history probably isn't for you. But if you are interested in the stories about God using men and women to declare and demonstrate his gospel, often through his own, their own brokenness, then I, I think you'd really like church history. And like mm. I said, I really, I'm going to put that, that whole article from Knox seminary from Dr. Um, Dr. Scott, um, Manor, uh, in the show notes. And I encourage you guys to read it cause it's a phenomenal article. Um, but man, it really just boils down to church history. Like you were saying earlier is, is our opportunity to see how those that have gone before us, um, the things they did right and the things they did wrong and how can we learn and how did they learn from their mistakes and, and how can we continue to pursue God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves, those two greatest commandments. How can we do that? How did they do that? And how can we remain faithful in our walk to Christ? And think about it this way, all right? So in the Old Testament, what is, what, what's, what's so much of the story of the Old Testament? Yes, it's to point to Jesus. It's to see the need for the Messiah and that he's coming. But it's Israel's history. Right. You know, you got all the kings, you have it's literally a, all the kings, it's the all original the split. church. You got the good, you got the bad, you got the and, and that's it. It's, it's original the original history. It's the original history of the Jewish people and which results in also our history as Christians. Right. That's what church history really is. And you know, we need to know these stories of these men and these women of, of what they did and who they did. And again, this is why I go back so, so stinking hard to we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, not they're like looking at us right now. And when you talk to them, but literally the fact of we can stand on the shoulders of giants and yeah, know right. that they did all the hard work. Like, okay, think of, um, why am I blanking right now? Uh, John Wycliffe, right? So he's the yeah, one who yeah. fought to, to, to put the, the Bible into the common language of the people. He was well, burnt. T- Tyndale did it first. Did Tyndale? No, it was Tyndale was a hundred years later. Yeah, you're right. Wycliffe did it first. Tyndale finished the work. Yep. And, and so, so, uh, so Wycliffe started, and that's why you have like Wycliffe Bible translators right. who yep. did that. So you right. have people like, 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 uh, Wycliffe who did that. Same thing of um, Luther. He wrote it in the German language. And so, you know, we have the English Bible in our hands because someone said the Bible is for everybody. It's not just for Latin people who are trained and educated Christian men. It's for the common people. And, you know, we have the Bible in our common language because of these men and women who fought against the oppressiveness of the of the Roman Catholic Church leaders of that time. But you also look at history and you can see why we have all the different things that we have of all the denominations. Why do we have Methodism? Why right. do we have different Baptists? What's congregational? You mentioned where, that. Where was the doctrinal where difference? Where does all these different things right. come from? And then why do they have that? Right. And that also helps you understand of just, okay, so what do I believe and why do I believe it? You don't need to start from the ground zero and reinvent the wheel because right. the wheel's already been ridden a thousand miles or two thousand well, miles already. And it also helps you navigate, right? Yeah. Of hey, I'm trying to find out what the Bible says, and there's all this church doctrine, and there's all these denominations, which one is actually following the Bible? And then you can go, okay, what do they believe? What where did what's the history of the Methodists and what do they believe now? What's it's their statement history. of faith? And then you compare that to what the Bible says and you go, okay. They got it here. They're missing it here. Baptists do the same thing. Non-denominational, which is who knows because it depends. But but, but you know, yeah, Coptic. You got, you got the Assemblies know of God. You got Catholic, the brethren. You, yeah. yeah, Catholic. You got you got Eastern Orthodox. You, I mean, you know, there's so many things out there. You got all these different Bible translations. Well, where do those Bible translations come from? Publishers well, wh- who want money. But, <laughs> right, but okay, where's the context? Are they? But, right, are, but, are but they why why are was they King co- James written in the first place? Are, well, not only King James, but why was the Geneva Bible written? Why, I mean, where where did that 
that come from? Where were the writings from? I mean, it's just our, our cultural Christianity that we have today is built on the backs of those from our history, from yep. our past. And if you don't understand the past, you're doomed to make the same mistakes that they made back then. So like case in point, you ready for this? So do you know why King James had them write the King James Bible and not just keep the Geneva Bible? Because of the fact that the Geneva Bible was a study Bible with footnotes. And right. it said that there is no king but Jesus. Right. And King James did not like that. Right. So he, yes, had to leave the, the translation in there, but he didn't take the, the different pieces of that. And so we look at that history, it's more the fact of, oh, okay, so maybe, and this is another argument against the King James only is, okay, so maybe there's more to the Bible than just this one tradition that we have. And it's, it's fun to read those histories. But if you look stories. at like the King James, the Geneva, I have all, you, you, they had the documents that they had and they did the best that they could. Oh, I actually, agree. If you look, if you look at the translations from the documents they had, Excellent. they are excellently Excellent. translated. And, and that's excellently. Is, so as we need to hear us about so, the King James, we, yeah, of course use it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have no, pro- I mean, well, I know half. The, I, I don't know have, a, I grew up on King James. Up on it. I grew up on it, but I don't, to me, I trust, like I, we like the CSB. Okay. Well, if you, there's some little, there's like 20 pages in the front of almost every Bible that tells you where that translation came from or how they came about that Bible. And read it's it. very fascinating. Read right? it. It's the history of that Bible translation. So if you read the CSB, it's like a, a group of like 3,000 scholars and, and, and uh, literary, I can't even say it. Linguist? Ling, linguistics, yeah. Mm-hmm. A bunch of ling, biblical linguistics and archaeologists and culturalists. And, it's nuts. and And what they do is they, they translate a, a section of a passage, a section of passages, and they look at the historical context, they look at the liturgy, they, they go back and forth, and they make sure all the words are, are 100% as close as they can to make it readable. And make, but still get the the context of it all, and so when people I, and this is the one thing that bugs me about if anybody's a translationalist only right whether it's a CSB only a, a only a KJV only you know NIV only it there drives are some me crap nuts translations because, out there because oh I agree but for me to say that about some you'd have to say that three thousand Christians because it's mostly Christians that do this is that's what makes up these committees that three thousand Christians would have to. Be like, I'm knowingly going to try to misinform and mistranslate and lead astray and add to or take away from Scripture. When they know the Scripture, and they've read that Bible more than probably most of us Christians have, because they have to study it over and over, and they're reading it in the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew, and, and they're really and going through historical sources. And, and they're looking at the cultural aspects of it and what it means in the culture, because you can't just translate a word. Culturally, it may not fit. And we actually had a missionary last year that came, and I forget, he was uh, from Nepal a missionary out of Nepal. And he was talking about their translating because they don't have a Bible translation in Nepal. Oh. So he's working with transla- a team of translators right now trying to translate into this village in Nepal's language. And he goes, yeah, I'll have the literally the literal words from, from what the Bible says, because he's doing it out of the Greek, into the Nepalian language. And then he asked the, the Napoleon native that he's working with, does this make sense? And they're like, that makes no sense what you said whatsoever. He goes, but it, word, it's word for word, but it makes no sense in the context. they don't understand what it, well, no, in what the it con- means. In the context yeah. of what it's saying, it means it makes no sense. Like those places where it's like you're simply washes white as snow. If, yeah. If, if you were a, a, a tribe that never seen snow, you'd be like, right. what the heck is snow? Exactly. And there so there's no word for so, snow. So oh, there's no word for it. There's so no word for to, faith. They have to get that general idea and translate it into a way that that language would understand and so that's where i i have i have faith that god his word is enduring forever and that he protects his word and 
I'm going to do my best that I can. There's a supernatural element to it. Sure. I'm going to pick my, well, so if you read the CSB, it's all, they talk about how much prayer and fasting that they did when they were translating it. And, and you talk to this guy from Nepal who's doing this and it's, it's, it's coded in prayer, right? They're not trying to do anything to make a mistake. They're doing the best they can. It's just like Whitcliffe did, just like Tyndale did. and, And we got these early translations and it's the same thing, right? And so, all this church history leads up and looking at even the history of our Bibles and, and, and what the translations we have now, if we're reading all that history and seeing how God has worked tremendously through sinful men and women, right, that, that, that are, are seeking him and pursuing him, and he works miracles through these people. George Whitfield was not looking to be some mega pastor, but God used him in the fields, right? Mm-hmm. Tyndale, he, all, Tyndale Whitcliffe, all they wanted was... For people to be able to read read the Bible, Bible. right? That's it. Just, hey, look, nobody else is doing it. And they actually tried to get the kings. Tyndale tried to get the kings of the time to let him publish it for him. And they wouldn't do it. And that's when he had to to go on the run. And so it's just like person after person in church history watching God move and and build what we have today, right, Uh, of of the church is just so miraculous and awe-inspiring, and it really should get your blood pumping and excited about learning what these guys actually went through to bring us what we have today. And it's amazing. It's amazing how the how the Reformation happened. It's amazing where we, where we see the Great Awakening happening in England, and then comes over here to the states in the early days before the, the Revolutionary War, and what brought the Puritans over. And what I mean, just it's just so awe-inspiring to see. Look. If it wasn't for these people, we probably wouldn't know Jesus today. They were disciples of, of Christ, and they took the the gospel to all the world. And we are here today by God's sovereignty because of these people and because God led these people to do what they did, which influenced and reached each of us. And God's eternal plan is being played out each and every day in each person's life, no matter how big or how small. And here's the deal, right? So as as Americans, we are very proud. And, and and if you're not an American, just hang out for another second. But for but for us who are Americans, it seems like Christians are so proud of our nation and our nation's founding. And you talk with Christians, specifically conservative Christians, all the time. You know, they can tell you all the things about the histor- historicity of the Second Amendment. They could tell you all the historicity of the founding of the country and the freedom of speech and the separation of church and state and how all the different parts of politics works because, you know, we'd be proud to be Americans. But it's like, well, yeah, you better be proud to be a Christian too. What's your church history? And they know nothing. And I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody because I enjoy church history. I'm just a nerd that way, right? And that's, but there's people who can spin freaking circles around me with church history. And right. that's awesome. Oh, me too. And so <laughs> I but, feel like but, I'm just scratching the surface. But, you know, but as Christians, my question is why wouldn't you want to know our history? You know, so many people say, again, it goes back to our conversation about theology and Jesus, when say, oh, I just want Jesus and that's it. But I feel like that's such a, a baby answer. It's of, kind of a cop-out, isn't it? In, in my opinion, yeah, <laughs> it is. You should know your church history where right. it comes from. And, right. you know, there are people who do it. And, yes, we got to keep the main thing the main thing because I have a problem with focusing so much on the theology and the understanding, the fact that I can miss the heart of, of Christianity. I, that's mm. my problem is I can miss the heart of Christianity. Yeah. But some people like the heart of Christianity so much, but they don't know the head of it. Right. And so when you come up against a confrontation that you can't argue and defend, 
you know, be willing to give a defense for the hope that you have. You better be ready to give a defense for the hope that you have and be able to even defend the history of, of the Christian faith. And then all of a sudden, when you're like, oh, no, Jesus is good enough for me, that's it. But now you're dealing with the historicity of Islam and the historicity of Jehovah Witness and the, the historicity of denominations and the historicity of Buddhism, which is older than Christianity. And then you have all these other different denominations, not denominations, different world religions. Worldviews. Worldviews and cultures and all these different things. And if you can look at the history history of of church history so many of the arguments that people levy against the american church today can quickly be just dropped and you're like yeah no that's wrong that's wrong that's right. not true that's not a fact and but then again we also have to know our own shortcomings of our own history because we can look at all these shortcomings of all the other passages, like it's oh easy yeah, to look at everybody else. Yeah, right? it's like oh, you know the the reformers, you know they reformed good, but they didn't reform enough. Or the the papacy, oh they were just in it for they the were just money. Power hungry. Or the early church, yeah. where it's like man, they didn't know the Bible as good as we did because they didn't even have the Bible. Where it's looking at us and it's like man, us Christians, we're too right wing or too left wing or too conservative or too scared or too bold. Like we need to look at our own shortcomings and go, what can we learn from our our, our fathers of history? Because again. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, and it seems like we're just repeating the same crap over and over and, and over. Well, if you look at last week and look at this week, right, and you see the cycle, the cycle that's happening, it happens of, hey, things get good, then things Meow. go bad, then things get good, then things go bad. And this, the, if you look, it continues on into the Old Testament, right? Look at the church. Or, I say church. Look Judges. at the nation the nation of Israel, right? It, uh, hey, we... We came to God. We're sorry, God. We repented to God. God took us back. Things are good for a while. Then we start straying away. We start looking at our own ideologies. We fall from God. We get punished. We get taken away. Oh, we're sorry. We repent. We come back to God. And it's just a cycle that continues to happen, happen with Israel. And now it happens with the church. And we need to understand that history and learn not to repeat it. But we also need to make sure that we're not pessimists towards it, too, because we can look 100%. at Christianity and just America and just England, where it was very, very popular. But we forget that there's other places in the world besides sure. where we live, because right now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Anglican church's largest location is down in Africa. There's more Anglicans in various parts mm. of Africa than there is in all of England. Mm. There's more Presbyterians in parts of Africa. There's more Baptists in China. There's, you know, China is growing like crazy. Japan. Korea is growing Japan. like crazy. Yep. Asian countries are growing like crazy. Um, we are even seeing a, a, re, a revitalization in the cities of people who are looking for these questions of, of life right. and ethics. And so it's not the fact of we might not be the quote unquote moral majority in America anymore. But at the same time, we see Christianity spreading like wildfire in places where it never was before, the Middle East, um, remote parts, remote villages, because the gospel is going forward to say that the king is here. And what does that mean? And, you know, I'm even still asking the question of what does the gospel actually mean? Is it just, you know, uh, follow Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die? Is that really the in the entire encompassing well, of what the gospel is? Or is it the fact of God's kingdom is here, so you better fall in line? That's kind of where I lean because the gospel is the good news and the gospel was being proclaimed by John the Baptist prior to Christ's ministry. And what was it? The prepare king, the way. Prepare the way the kingdom has come, right? <laughs> That's what it is, right? And the kingdom has come. Christ has come. So prepare, prepare because he's coming back. Prepare. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Look, things are bad here. But Christ is coming back, so get ready. Right, because, get ready. Because we see that the new covenant in Jesus' blood is his, you know, his body and his blood, and it says, "And lo, I am with you, right. even until the end of the age." Right. And so, at some point, the end of the age will come. But until then, I mean, we're still every day is another day in church history, and sadly, you know, we're living in the age of the mega church scandals. Like that's sure. probably the age, the age of the mega church scandals is kind of where we're at. 
and a lot of different other issues as well. But when we look at the entire history of church culture, we can be discouraged with our own state of our own nations because we have Christians from all different nations. We can be concerned with the purity of the church, but we can look back and go, you know what? The church really screwed up there, but we saw men and women stand up for their faith. So if they could do it, by goodness, man, I can do it too. Yep. And I think that's where it really comes down to. 100%. So... That it? That's it, bro. Okay. Hit it. I was waiting for you. <laughs> for fun facts <laughs> Alright, boss, give it to us. What is the fun fact? Man, we went hour 15 on that episode. So good thing we did make yeah, that a two-part. <laughs> that would have been wild for you guys. So give us the fun fact to end the show, All my right. dude. Well, the fun thing about this fun fact is I just pulled up Google and I accidentally hit the like little Google you button. You should start asking chat GBT to come and up this, with fun facts. And for this you. fun fact just popped up and it's kind of a fun but not so fun fact, I guess, for the person. So can canistus kunga. Kenistus Kunga, a 62-year-old retired soldier, had not only the largest kidney stone, but also the heaviest. It's the largest kidney stone ever recorded and larger than his actual kidney. Guinness, as in the Guinness... Like Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, not not the drink. Guinness said on its website, Kunga's kidney stone weighed in at 1.76 pounds, about the same weight as five baseballs. Wow. That's a big kidney stone. And could you imagine passing that mug? Like That's giving birth, man. That, That's pushing a bowling ball through a garden hose. My goodness. <laughs> I don't even know how you would. They probably had to go in there, blast it, or take the whole kidney out. So the problem like, is like, finally, someone else knows what it's like to give birth besides a woman. <laughs> right. Goodness gracious. You know, one thing we forgot to do at What's the end that? of that episode was give resources for where they can know more about church history, man. So and so what resources do would you recommend for people to, I'll put to them dive in, in? I'll put them in the show notes. Oh, perfect. The, the Knox Ceremony. Uh, ceremony. Seminary. Knox seminary. Uh, has got a bunch of church history stuff. They've actually got some classes out on it. Uh, I've also got the Bible Hub uh, thing, the church history, Christian church, I'm sorry, christianhistoryinstitute.org has a bunch. Um, yeah. And, so, and then reform.org backslash with, church history. If, if, obviously, you're in a podcast. Listen to us. There's a podcast from, again, Ligonier Ministries called Five Minutes in Church History yes. with Stephen oh, that's, Nichols. That's a that's phenomenal amazing. one. amazing. There are some you probably should stick away with, like Church History Matters by Scripture Central. That's Mormon. That's LDS. There's yeah. some crap in there. But there's a lot of other di- fan- fantastic podcasts you can oh, yeah. find. Don't forget um, The Men Who Rocked the World by Stephen J. Lawson. Yeah, That's a that really one. good one. Uh, if you're looking for books, though, there's one called Church History in Plain Language by yes. Bruce L. Shelley. I have That's both read one. and listened to that one. That one's terrific. The one I currently have on my... Well, I took it off my nightstand because it's collecting dust. Is The Story of Christianity Part 1 and Part 2 by um, Justo L. Gonzalez. So there are some phenomenal books and resources out there. If you want to know more... Send us a message, send us an email, and we'll point you into those resources or check the show notes, more information on that. Just like always, jump into the Facebook group. Let's keep this conversation going. Instagram, we're not as active over there anymore because we're living life in the Facebook group. So get your butt, even if you Gen Z or Gen Alpha, get your butt on Facebook if you're older 13, because if you're under 13, that's illegal. But over 13, jump on Facebook, jump inside of the Facebook group, and let's keep those conversations going. And if you haven't already, don't forget to go over to YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that bell notification so when we do stuff like I don't know, you know, go revi- live, revive fest giveaways for tickets and stuff. You guys are made aware and can jump on with us. Actually, the winner of this last set of uh, giveaway tickets was, was on, on YouTube. YouTube. So there you go. I love it, man. Well, guys, just like always, we love you. We're here for part two episodes. We're glad you stuck with us for this one, though. But until next time, take it easy.